I truly believe that differentiation and engagement go hand in hand because when students are able to access the curriculum, they are so much more engaged because they're a part of what's going on. They they feel like they're they're actually being accepted into the curriculum, accepted into the classroom in a true way and not just the superficial way where we say, well, everyone is welcome here. But all right, is everyone welcome? Have we done the work to make sure that they are? And that's where differentiation comes in. We are Megan and Alyssa, former teachers and founders of Pop PD, a peer learning platform for K-12 educators. On the Extracurricular Podcast, we're interviewing the most passionate, forward-thinking educators to uncover tangible strategies you can use in your classroom right away. Bryson Tarbet is a pre-K to sixth grade general music teacher. He spent his first year out of college as part of an elementary school intervention team, and he fell in love with working with students with disabilities. Through that experience, as well as his personal experience as a neurodiverse individual, Bryson feels very strongly about advocating for sensory and emotionally inclusive classrooms. He started his online business called That Music Teacher with the goal of sharing different perspectives on issues pertaining to the lives of music educators across the country. He also hosts That Music Podcast, a podcast for elementary music teachers, and is the educator behind the Elementary Music Summit. In this episode of the Extracurricular Podcast, Bryson talks to us about how to keep our lessons relevant for students, even when we feel like we can't keep up with what's trending. He gives simple ways to learn and improve our craft by connecting with other teachers online, and he talks about how to remove barriers to learning by giving students choice. My favorite part of the episode, though, is when Bryson talks about teaching students to give us feedback in a way that helps us make learning engaging and helps students learn more about their own preferences. We hope you enjoy this episode. Both the Extracurricular Podcast and That Teacher Podcast are brought to you by the team at Pop PD. Our mission is to empower teachers to connect with one another around sharing teaching strategies, tips, tricks, and ideas you actually want, creating a learning experience as dynamic as you are. We know you need access to ongoing, relevant resources to support your teaching career, and it's our mission to help you feel fully supported as a modern educator. Check out our platform now at poppd.co to sign up for your free interactive workspace where you can access ideas and strategies for teaching, organize your favorite teaching ideas, and add your own notes and to-dos to keep everything in one easy-to-access spot. We have new challenges every month to help inspire you on topics like podcasting with your students and using ChatGPT to make communicating with families easier. If you're a school leader or instructional coach in charge of PD, you'll love our platform for curating your own PD library from our content or easily adding your own content to share with your teachers. And of course, we have a community space where you can come together with other teachers around the world to get advice, to laugh, to cry, to vent, whatever you need. It's off of Facebook. It's our little corner of the internet where we can be ourselves. Just click the community button on poppd.co and we'll see you there. Welcome Bryson to the Extracurricular Podcast. We are so excited to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. I am really excited for this conversation. Bryson is, if you have not uh, followed him on social media yet, he is just a bright light in the online space. And so we're really excited to chat with you about 
all things engagement and differentiation for students. You're a music teacher, but we we're, we're going to talk kind of like K-12, any subject, how to keep your kids paying attention and all, giving all kids the opportunity to be involved. And so we'd love to just kick off by knowing a little bit about you and how you became interested in music education. Yeah. So like a lot of people that teach elementary music, I never thought I would want to do this. I, you know, when I, when it came to the point in high school where I had to decide what I wanted to do with the rest of my life, I was really torn between music performance and music education. I ended up going the education route and I'm like, all right, I'm going to be this next great high school choir director. We're going to go to all these competitions. We're going to sing at Disney. It's going to be all this amazing things. And then about two weeks into undergrad, I observed a high school choir and she was wonderful. It was a wonderful program, but I instantly knew in my gut that this was not for me. And it was like everything had come crashing down because literally it was like my second week. I barely knew like where anything was at that point. And I was just like, all right, well, I guess my plan is, is broken. Uh, thankfully, a couple weeks later, um, I was able to observe an elementary music classroom, and it really completely tr- changed the trajectory of my life. It really allowed me to see just how much joy there, there was in the elementary classroom. Um, and not saying this is not joy at the high school level, but it really resonated we, with me in such a way that it, you know, it changed the way that, you know, my life went. You know, I, I ended up getting my master's in an elementary music pedagogy and really diving into the elementary music world. And I have absolutely loved more or less every aspect of it since. <laughs> Megan taught high school and I taught elementary. So we, we often talk about the differences between the two. Like you have your sweet spot. For sure. Yeah. So tell us, how do you keep those elementary kiddos engaged, especially in a subject like music where Mm, some kids might be a little bit hesitant, especially as they start to get older. I know I taught fifth grade and, and, you know, being involved in music was a tough one for them. So in a subject area where they may be a little hesitant, how do we keep them engaged? So I want to bring up a point that you brought up earlier, which is that, yes, I am a music teacher, but the majority of the people listening aren't. But when we when kind of look at it in a macro lens, the the foundation of foundations of good teaching and engagement are really universal. And I think the biggest thing that we can do when it comes to keeping students engaged, whether they're a kindergartner or if they're a senior or like a week from graduating, is how do we make it relevant? And sometimes we kind of overdo it by embracing all the trends and all right, we're going to do a TikTok trend. And, you know, that has its place and it can have its place, especially if you and your students resonate with that. But the reality is, is whenever we can make what we're teaching relevant to the lives they're actually living is when we're going to be able to have the most buy-in from our students. Uh, Especially when, you know, in a music classroom where, you know, at the elementary level, pretty much everyone gets music, but when you get to the higher levels, it's kind of an option. And what can we do to make sure that the music education or the education in general that's happening in our classroom is mirroring their experiences on the outside? We don't just kind of like when you're thinking about selecting literature, we want it, we want to have parts of our curriculum that is mirroring what they're already seeing in their lives, but we also want them to see into other people's lives and, and how things might be different to a little, allow them to broaden their horizon. It's this constant balancing act. But the reality is, is if we were to really distill it down is when we can keep kids understanding how this is relevant, that is when they're going to be most engaged. 
I love that. I think it's um, that relevancy, you know, it's really, that's the strategy, right? Is keeping it relevant and staying connected to them, I think is then inherently connected to that, right? It's like, you have to be connected to your students. You have to have those relationships with them. We had, um, we've had some great people come on and talk about that relationship building as well um, in past episodes, but uh, having that touch point with them is what's really going to power that instruction. So relevant, keeping it relevant is kind of the strategy. And then it, you do kind of have to then keep up with it and, and kind of notice what's going on in their lives. So you can mirror that in your classroom. So a little bit, a little bit of kind of back and forth then and adjusting and adapting your curriculum as, as time goes on. Is that right? Yeah. There's a, um, a wonderful music teacher, uh, Ann Molesky, who she often often talks about how teaching is time-bound, situational, and ever-changing. And I love that quote because it is so true that we cannot get stuck. We cannot do things one way for 30-some years and expect it to always work. That's just not how things are going to go. I mean, my parents are both retired teachers, and they're, they're, they're very lucky that they retired pre-COVID. But the teaching is very different now. And the reality is, is if we try to teach even how we did three or four years ago, we are in a completely different place. So that relevancy is going to be incredibly important to keep kids engaged, but also just to make sure that we as teachers aren't getting stuck in that land of comfortability where we just assume it's going to work because it has in the past. So how do you move from survival mode. This is good. This is a tough question, but like I'm a teacher and I am just trying to get by on the day to day, but I do want to bring this relevancy in. How do I move from survival mode to being able to bring in or decide on what I want to work on bringing in? Um, let's say I'm heading into a new, the new school year and I'm like, okay, I want to try something new this year. I want to try to stay relevant. What are some easy ways I can kind of grab onto that uh, while I'm just trying to keep my head above water at the same time. Well, you bring up a really good question. You know, it's a million dollar question, which is how do we prepare teachers, even teachers that are maybe they've been teaching for a while, but they're in a new situation. You know, how do we prepare them to do all the things all at once? Because there are so many different, you know, pillars of, of teaching. You know, we have the teacher self-care, we have the pedagogy, we have the differentiation. And the reality is, uh, there's a double-edged sword because when we help in one of those modalities, when we work on differentiation, our pedagogy is going to increase. But the flip side of that is if we're really struggling with the pedagogy side of it, our differentiation is really going to struggle. So it really comes down to what is the biggest needle mover that you can choose now to get us towards that next step. And part of that comes down to realizing that you're not going to be able to go from this brand new newbie teacher or this teacher who's struggling in this area. And then the next day, you're just going to be the expert. There's going to be so much that goes through it um, with the different mistakes you're going to make and the the ways, the, the amount of times that you're going to try something and it's going to completely blow up in your face. But the reality is, is find something that you believe as the expert in that classroom will have the biggest impact. Try that, iterate on that, and then see what you can add to that in a way that is is doable for you in that moment. Because again, I, you know, are, we're all very different people. You know, when I started teaching and even, you know, I, 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 I spent a lot of time outside of the school day building my craft because that's what I wanted to do. I wanted, that was kind of where my, my priorities were. Now I don't take work home from school. I have other priorities that are filling that time. But the reality is, is I put that investment in early in my career so that I wouldn't have to consistently do that. And I know that's kind of a non-answer, but, you know, for anyone who's listening, who's like, oh my gosh, Bryson, just give me something practical is what is one thing that you would like to be better at by the end of the year? 
what can you do to design the way that your lessons are set up, to design the way that your classroom is set up, to design the way that your your life is set up to help you get towards that goal and then keep using that goal as kind of your guiding compass when you're making decisions throughout the year. I think that's that's really useful advice. You know, like I like that you said both sides of it, right? I think a, a lot of a lot of us, and I was the same way as a new teacher, you know, spending that extra time is not ideal, right? Like it would be nice if teachers had more of that built-in time, but it is an investment. I think in a lot of early stage careers, a lot of fields, it's like you got to kind of learn, you're on your feet, you're, you're, things are chaotic, you're like, what's happening here? But that builds over time. What I like too, though, is to keep going and to start, pick one thing or maybe two things if you're feeling ambitious, right? But to have it be super personal, I think it's really easy to get wrapped up in, you know, a school initiative or even a, a trending topic online or the thing that your best friend on the hall is, is teaching in their class. I think that um, in some ways that's good. You can be inspired by others, but I think that there's an opportunity in kind of what you're describing to like take a step back and really think about yourself take a step back from, I have to be everything everywhere all at once. And like, where can I kind of zero in and improve my practice? And then that's going to help you feel good about your practice because you have something that you're, you know, focusing on and trying to work towards. Yeah. And and really kind of going off of that is what can you do that are gradual steps that will get you to that goal. You know, you're not going to instantly like for in, you know, in my, in my career, I, or in in my position, I teach like eight preps. So if I said, I'm going to make these wonderful lessons that are super differentiated, each one has a technology aspect. The kids are moving, there's group work. And I've said, I'm going to do that for all of my lessons all year. I would instantly burn out because there's, that's too much new stuff on the plate. What can you do to simplify that? Even if that's for saying, all right, what if I try one new aspect in each of my preps, but the, you know, it's not a bunch of different new things. What if I implement one group aspect in each lesson and kind of see how that goes and kind of work towards that rather than trying to make this completely 180 switch? Because not only is that going to be a lot of work for us uh, as teachers, that's also going to be a lot for our students to digest the, especially when it comes to what are the expectations now that the way that we are being taught is completely different from what it was last week. And that's where a lot of the issues when it comes to you know engagement and classroom management can kind of come into play because we're all kind of in this, we don't know what's really going on right now. We're just kind of playing it by ear. And that can, um, that can be frustrating for everyone involved. I think too, what you end up, modeling is kind of for students as well of, you know, maybe not for your, your littlest, littlest students, but as students get older, you're kind of showing them like, Hey, we're going to try something new today. I've never done this before, but I think it's going to be really cool. Let's do it. And, and even if it like totally bombs, right. He's like, all right, guys, we're not going to do that again, but like, let's see what we learned. And maybe we'll take a part of that and try it in another lesson. You can kind of bring them along for the ride and, and you're modeling the things you want them to do, right. Whether they're in a music class or in an English class or whatever it is, it's kind of like skill or something you want them to try. You're modeling that behavior and just picking one thing and focusing on it and kind of showing them that like, Hey, I'm learning and we're trying to figure this out ourselves as well. Being open about that, I think. Um, sometimes helps with that buy-in as well with students. Yeah. And if you're doing it right, not only are you saying, hey, we're going to try something new, you're getting their feedback, which is great for a couple of things. One, it's giving them agency in the classroom. Even if you don't necessarily do everything they want you to do, you're getting, they're allowing them to have that voice 
but also you're allowing them to build the skill of giving feedback. The, especially, I mean, who hasn't had a middle schooler and go, well, what, you know, what did you think about it? I don't know. <laughs> what did you like it? I guess, you know, like how, that's not really feedback, but if we can work towards giving, you know, giving them more opportunities to have that voice that allows them not only in our education to advocate for themselves and the things that they enjoy and the things that they learn best with, but it also just kind of models that that discourse and communication that frankly we need more open conversations just in our society as a whole. Oh my gosh, I am the worst at giving feedback. Let's just double click on that one for a minute because I have to know how do you teach kids to give feedback or how would you teach me to give feedback because it's tough. Well, I think sometimes we need to remember that this is a it's a skill and a lot of times we just we expect the kids to know how to do it. You know, for instance, I know that I play, I, we have all kinds of different music going on in my classroom, but I know that not everyone is going to like everything. I personally love opera. I do not expect most of my sixth graders to enjoy opera, but if they're whatever kinds of genres or activities or things were going on, I want them to be able to have that opinion, whether, Oh, I really like this, or I really don't like this. But then I want them to be able to back it up. I want them to be able to bring the receipts. And that's where we can really bring in some of those um, those musical concepts too. Like, you know, I really, you know, I don't like how loud it was. There was too, there were too many really loud instruments or, you know, the emotions that it made me feel, made me feel a little bit uncomfortable. Or, hey, you know, I've only heard this at like, you know, in like old, really old films. And that's not, doesn't seem really interesting. And when we get at that, the more we let them use that skill, the more we let them kind of, talk through it, the better. And for instance, if you're, if you're sitting there saying, all right, well, how do I do that? One of the best phrases that I have used, um, that I learned in undergrad where I have two phrases. One is tell me more. So if they say something, you know, like, Oh, I really don't like that. Tell me more. And it can take a little bit for them to understand like, Oh, I truly want them to tell me more. And then another one is help me understand, help me understand why you don't like that. Or help me understand why you think that that sounds creepy. And it really is those things where it's, all right, I hear what you're saying. I'm validating that but I'm going to need you to get, dig a little deeper. I'm going to try to pull a little bit more out of that conversation so it has a little bit more depth and a little bit more substance. I love those. Two super easy, simple. You can use those with really little kids. You can use them with big kids. You can use them with adults. Like how many of us could use to use those with the people that we live with, work with, whatever. Um, those are those are great. So I love how simple and universal those are. I also noticed as you were talking, even kind of giving some examples of, you know, hearing some of your students give feedback is, and some of the prompts is like, like kind of categories, right? Like the volume of it, or like the number of instruments or like kind of whatever your subject is, maybe there's just a couple categories that you can list on, on the board or, you know, and maybe this is more or less extensive depending on that age level, but all those little prompts, those pieces can help them kind of start to structure their own thoughts and give them that inspiration as well as I love that you just said, just talking it through and, and kind of having those conversations. That's where that competency really develops by getting them engaged and involved in that conversation about feedback. Definitely. And I'm going to go out on a limb and say that really young kids have opinions too. It often comes, I mean, like, I don't know if you've ever met a toddler, but if you try to do something and you do it the wrong way, they're going to let you know. And it's, it really comes down to all right, how can we get them from the screaming and the fit to, I wanted to unwrap it myself or something like that. How can we allow whatever ages I've, I've had kindergartners that say things. I'm like, Oh my gosh, how did you get that from that song? I didn't even realize that, but you're totally right. And it really comes down to regardless of the age of the student, 
they are all really capable of really cool things when we set them up for success, when we remove those barriers to allow them to be a true part of our, of our class. And these are the kinds of skills they're going to need going into the future that they have in front of them. Yes. uh, Just more and more every day. To circle back, I do want to um, come back to the relevancy for a minute. So I have chosen an area in my classroom that I want to work on this year. I'm going to try, you know, group work or something in each of my lessons. Where do I go to figure out how to work on those strategies, how to improve those strategies, how to keep things relevant for my kids, how to figure out what they're into? How do I find all of that information? I would say the one of the best resources that I'm sure you both understand that teachers need more time to talk to other teachers because that is when the true magic comes out because that's not when someone who wrote a book that's been sitting in their ivory tower for a while. This is someone that's in the classroom that is saying, hey, I tried this with my second graders last week. They loved it. Let me show you how I did this. Uh, when the, Some of the best PDs that I've been a part of is when my district says, who would like to lead a PD? And those are some of the best things because they're people that understand the students that you're teaching because they're in your district. They're student people that are still in the classroom that still understand um, how that works. And it really comes down to seeing what you like, but also things you don't like because there have been certain PDs that I'm like this, or even like think about when you're, when you're um, observing teachers, in undergrad, there have been some great teachers that I've observed, and there have been some teachers that I'm like, this is a great non-example. This, you know, even if it works for them, like, you know, it's not for me. It doesn't feel good for me. So what can we do to be able to discuss with more teachers, whether it be actually in your your physical location or through the wonderful power of the internet like we're doing right now? That is where I would really suggest you get started. The thing about the internet that's so great for somebody, I I felt myself getting less and less cool as the years went on as a teacher. In the beginning, I swear I was cool. I I promised that my kids thought I was cool. But as time went on, I was definitely not cool. And so going to going online and finding like a younger teacher was would help me figure out, okay, this is a strategy I could try with my students. This will be what's relevant to my kids. This is something new and different I can try. So you get to, not that the younger teachers always have the best ideas, but you get to experience and learn from all different kinds of teachers and all different kinds of classrooms. And it's just really a great place to be. Yeah. One thing that I've absolutely fallen in love with, with this online community is the fact I am the only music teacher in my building. I, there is another elementary music teacher in the district. We might see each other twice a year and being able to talk with other elementary music teachers online has helped me so much as an educator. Um, and, and that's why I love what I love so much about like teacher talk, you know, teacher TikTok and things like that is that it allows us that opportunity to, to communicate where we don't really get it most of the time. Can you break down teacher talk for us? What kinds of things can we find on teacher TikTok? Teacher TikTok. Well, I'll say TikTok is a little bit this wild west. It's gotten a little bit more tame, but you never know what you're going to find. You never know what idea. Like I follow a lot of people or even just people pop up in my FYP, like where it's, 
people that are teaching things that have nothing to do with what I'm teaching. They're not music teachers, but they're, they might do it in a way that I'm like, I could totally take that and use it this way. Or like, oh, I love how they discussed this way. Or wow, that classroom management technique is great. Even if it's like, oh, this is a high school class, but I could totally take a very simplified version of this classroom management and use it with my kindergartners. And it, it's just, it's this wonderful way. It's kind of like, it's kind of what I wished Pinterest was. I've never been really into Pinterest because it always, it's just too much for me. But TikTok is like, all right, you have five seconds to catch my interest. And it really allows you to take in a lot of new ideas. And there is a lot of stuff. I, you know, there, there are definitely some, some downsides to teacher TikTok. Um, but I think if you're using it and if you're going at, going to it with that purpose of gaining new information and gaining some perspective, it can be so really useful. And just energizing to see it's so hard, as you said, it's hard for teachers to always connect with one another, even, you know, obviously it's hard you not being in the same building as the other teacher, but like you're in the same district, it's still hard to connect. And so, you know, even sometimes you feel you're in your classroom and it's like, is anybody else out there? Like, is anybody else out there doing what I'm doing or feeling how I'm feeling? Like I'm a new teacher. I'm the only new teacher in my building. or I'm the only certain type of teacher or whatever it is. So to, to be able to kind of access all of these different types of teachers who are, who look different and sound different and come from different places, have different ideas, have different students. Um, it's just such an incredible way to expose yourself to a number of those ideas of examples. And as you said, non-examples um, to kind of get inspired by. Especially when you think of the reality of, of what a teaching schedule looks like. You know, if we were to draw parallels to like a corporate world or something like that, you know, our coworkers really kind of aren't our coworkers. Our students are the ones we spend most of our time with. We like we there are people that I've worked with for years that we've never had a planning period at the same time. We've never had a lunch at the same time. So I've never been able to see them during the school day unless they're like, just walking by and like waving at their as their classroom as they're going by. Because the reality is we're teaching all day. So that collaboration has to come in other ways, or it just won't happen at all. All right, let's move into talking about, because I don't want to miss this, something that you love to talk about and that you really are great at is thinking about how students um, who are neurodiverse kind of move and, and function within the classroom and how we can make sure to differentiate our lessons so that every student has access to what they need to be successful. So break it down for us. Where do we begin with all of this? I love that you said break it down because that is like the main point. Break down those barriers. When we think of differentiation, oftentimes we we we've that's that buzzword. We need to we need a new word. I don't know how many times I've been told, especially like in undergrad or some, or even just like in a training, well, you just differentiate it. And then you ask, well, how do I do that? And it's like that scene from Shit's Creek where Maury's trying to just fold in the cheese. Well, you just differentiate. You just differentiate. I'm like, nobody know does anybody know what this means? Yeah. But the reality is differentiation works best when you are allowing your classroom, allowing your lessons, allowing your instruction to have the barriers removed that might impede someone from accessing the curriculum as you're presenting it. Um, I myself have ADHD and sensory processing disorder. So my neurodiversity is a big part of who I am and a big part of who I was as a student. And it really is, it, it can be, it can be as simple as allowing someone having you know a couple over the ear headphones for students that might get overstimulated or having some fidgets available for some students that might need to move or allowing a student to stand up at the back of the room instead of sitting it on a table because sometimes it really doesn't matter sometimes we need to 
not let our expectations go, but adjust our expectations for the reality of the students that are sitting in front of us. And that's the biggest thing is when I, I truly believe that differentiation and engagement go hand in hand, because when students are able to access the curriculum, they are so much more engaged because they're a part of what's going on. They they feel like they're they're actually being accepted into the curriculum, accepted into the classroom in a true way and not just the superficial way where we say, well, everyone is welcome here. But all right, is everyone welcome? Have we done the work to make sure that they are? And that's where differentiation comes in. I love that. It's it's not just, are you welcome in this room? It's, are you welcome to this learning experience? Are you yeah, inviting for sure. everyone to engage in that experience? Um, that's a really powerful way to think about it. And I think that we've done a lot of a lot of work over the past you know few years with with differentiation and with neurodiversity. We still have a lot weight, a lot of a lot of room to grow. But when it comes down to it, I think a lot a lot of where we struggle is teachers don't quite understand, or they feel like they understand, and they're like they're in that survival mode still. You know, and if they're trying to figure out what they're going to teach, how are they going to differentiate all these different types of things when they don't even know how to teach it? You know, what to teach? What are we teaching tomorrow? And that's where some systemic changes would be wonderful and super helpful. Um, but again, going back to what we talked about earlier, taking those small action steps to try to you know grow overall in the macro sense. Can you give us some of those action steps we can take if a teacher's listening to this? Like, what can I do this week to make sure that um, I'm really, truly creating a welcoming and inclusive learning experience? Well, the first step is to is to know the students you're teaching. And I, I am definitely not blind to the fact that it's hard. I have hundreds of students and being able to, having to know their diverse needs is really hard. And I have made so many, so many poor choices along the way in the attempt of differentiation because I just didn't have the right information. So what? how do we do that? Well, first, you can look at things like IEPs, 504s, BIPs, and things like that. But I think the best way that we can, we can use this is looking at the behavior of the students. I truly believe that every single behavior is a form of communication. So if we have a student that is really having, having a breakdown or you know having a meltdown every time we give them a specific type of assignment or if we ask them to do this specific thing, what is the root of that? Why are they frustrated? Is it a fine motor deficit? You know, is it, you know, is it a student that, oh, we're, we're going to do this scissors, scissors activity and that they just really struggle with that. And that's where that comes up. So what can we do to, once we have that need, give some sort of intervention? So if the goal of that assignment is for them to use scissors, okay, they'll probably, we could, we could figure something out. But if the goal of that assignment is for them to learn their fractions or something like that, can we have them another option? Can we have them draw it? Can we have them pre-cut for that student? Wh whatever. What are some ways that we can make the student able to get to the goal of the assignment, the goal of the lesson, without putting undue stress? Yes, there is going to be time. There are going to be times where students are going to be uncomfortable, and that is not. We're not trying to take those away because those are such great experiences. But if we have barriers for access that are truly getting in the way of the learning they don't need to be there. I want to highlight the the piece that you said, you know, is really at the core is what am I really trying to do here? What am I trying to get them to learn? What is the most important thing? Or, you know, maybe there's two things, but there really should be that core of the lesson that you're trying to get at. Right. And then it's all kind of centered around that. And, and so I, I like that you kind of said, like, is it the cutting? I've always done stuff with scissors here, but is that really the point? Just because that's been fun before, doesn't mean we could kind of think about this another way. And, and what I like that you also mentioned was that idea of options, right? So giving that that choice. And when we talked about it earlier, that having giving them 
giving students that sense of agency, I think can go such a long way. And it kind of does double double duty, right? It, it helps with that engagement because they feel like they, they've chosen and they're engaged in their choice. It also kind of allows them to, you know, decide within the bounds of their comfort level, like wh- which, what do I feel like trying today? You know, whether it's two options, three options, like always having some kind of alternative or some kind of choice in there seems like could be a really good way, um, you know, even if it's a small choice, could really be a useful way to help differentiate. Uh, one of my favorite, favorite parts of differentiation is seeing it work in unintended ways. So if you, if you do it in a way where, all right, you can either cut it out on cards or you can either cut it out or, Hey, we had some kids that got done earlier um, in the previous period and they cut out some extra ones. So if you want to use those, you can, that option will help a student that really struggles with cutting, but say Susie doesn't normally need that, but she broke her arm and she can't use her the scissors today. That is still helping her in that moment, even though when you were creating that, you were not saying, well, Susie's going to break her arm tomorrow. No, you were, you're, it's just another option, another way for that barrier is removed for everyone. Some might not need some, that might not even have been a barrier for some people, but without getting too far on a tangent, sometimes we feel um, in the greater society that when we give interventions or when we make it easier for someone else, we're making it harder for someone else. And the reality is, is if you're doing it right, you're not doing that. You are making it easier for everyone else who would like to option do that option. I love that. All right, let's jump into our lightning round. Megan, take it away. Lightning round questions. Okay, so what is your go-to activity or game if you've got like that couple awkward extra minutes at the end of class and you've got to like fill some time? What are you what are you pulling out of that? Especially for my younger ones, getting them to move. So we play a game called walk and stop, which is basically like freeze. So you play and you walk and you walk and you walk and you walk and you stop. And then when they stop, you stop. And then you jump and you jump and you jump and you jump and you stop. The kids love it. You would think they would get tired of it because like we have, oh, we have two minutes left. We don't have enough time to do anything else let's do this get up and move and and we'd always end up and you line up and you line up and you line up and you stop and now we're in a line cool all right bye see you next time it is a wonderful way um to just kind of fill some time but also it's just a lot of fun that's great love that sounds like a great transition activity too it's a great love me some transitions so great so great all right uh next lightning round question what's uh the funniest thing that's ever happened to you in the classroom funny little oh my goodness I had a deer jump through a window in my classroom, knock over my piano, and jump out another window. No. Believe it or not. Thankfully, nobody was in the classroom as that happened. But it was, it was, it's a journey. (sighs) Bambi wanted to come hang out with us in the music classroom. It was great. To this day, I'll just, every once in a while, I'll pull out something I haven't used in a while, and there's just be a little shard of glass. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. God love teaching out in a rural school. Wow. So the deer <laughs> broke did the, the broke through the window? Sure did. <laughs> oh my god. That deer was on one, huh? Yeah. Wow. It was that was quite an adventure. The power of music, everyone. The power of music. <laughs> right? <laughs> That's great. Oh, I don't know if we can top that, but uh, the last one, last writing around question is what's your favorite way to kind of learn new strategies and get inspired for your classroom? My favorite way is to just honestly, my favorite moment is when I'm just in the moment and I go, Ooh, we should do this. I've never done this before, but like, let's give it a try. Like, you know, sometimes it'll be like, let's give a bunch of kindergartners drums. This might work. And sometimes it does. And sometimes it doesn't, but the reality is we're going to have fun in the process. So just kind of following your own flights of fancy, really. Exactly. Love that. That's great. 
Bryson, you are amazing. And I know our listeners are going to want to hear more from you. So how can they connect with you? The best place to reach out to me is over on Instagram at that music teacher. Um, I'd love for you to send me a DM. We can keep this conversation going. Great. And speaking of that teacher, we're going to have Bryson on that teacher podcast to talk all about his journey into sharing his ideas and expertise online. So if you want to listen in and dig in a little bit more on your next car ride to school, definitely tune in over there. Thank you, Bryson. Thank you, Megan. And we will see everybody in the next episode. If you had a light bulb moment during this episode, or you thought of an idea to share, join us inside our podcast community to tell us your thoughts on both the extracurricular and that teacher podcast. We have a space for you to comment and chat with one another about each episode. We believe that sharing our experiences as educators is what keeps us moving, learning, and experiencing more of a sense of connection. You can join us inside the community to access all the podcast episodes and the discussion prompts. Just click on join community when you go to poppd.co.